Welcome back to Beyond Well. I'm Sheila Hamilton, and this is a program for people who want to learn more about our interior lives. Every week, we take a look at the psychological landscape and try to figure out together how we can deal with some of the struggles that we're all going to have from time to time. Angela Ismirian has been here with us um, sitting in for Dr. Jenna Lejeune, and Dr. Brian Goff is also here with us every single week. And this week... Yeah, can you pick up the guitar? Oh my God, that sounds so great. What a, what a wonderful way to begin a Monday, huh? Oh gosh, yeah. We've said this about our musical guests is that they always like put me in such a great mood when we have somebody come in. Seriously. Aww. To have Larissa Birdseye in studio is something that I have kind of been watching on Instagram for a while and dreaming about, um, but she, she's been touring. And so it is so with so much pleasure that I welcome Larissa to Beyond Weld. She's one of the most open artists about uh, when she's in a shitty mood, <laughs> when she's feeling funny, <laughs> when she's gone through a breakup, when she's going through tough times. And this sort of emotional availability is something that I think really sets her music apart. Welcome, Larissa. It's so good to see you. It's so good to meet you. Thank you for having me. Just tell us a little bit about where you're from and sort of the background, because because I know at one point... You even auditioned for American Idol, right? I did, yeah. How'd, you, how'd that go? So bad. <laughs> um, I it was, it was crazy. Um, the first audition, so I got several rounds in, and the first audition, I had this wave of anxiety hit me like nothing that I've ever experienced before. I was in a ho- I was on tour in a little hotel room, and so it was a Skype interview. And I was like, okay, cool. And as soon as I hit accept on the video call, it was like my whole body was on fire. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't sing. Oh my God. And I, you know, I finished the audition and I was oh. like, oh, like, what was that? Oh, wow. And so I prepared. I was like, you know, the second round, I got through. I didn't think I would get through. I got yeah. through. They called me back. I went to LA to the producer's audition. Um, but I like, prepped for like a marathon like I dealt with my anxiety I was like running every day I was doing yoga I was meditating because I was like I don't know what the hell that was and I need to make sure that that doesn't happen again so passed through the producers round did a great job as soon as I got to LA for the third rounds like as soon as I was in front of like Katy Perry and Lionel Richie it just same kind of thing happened I couldn't I couldn't breathe I couldn't sing it was like an absolute nightmare <laughs> oh my god oh, what did you what did you um what did you have prepared to be able to play it was um gosh it was like it was an old pink song oh, um wow. it was like off of her second album and it was it's a it's kind of like a gospel song and usually even when I'm calm it's something that my voice would excel on and as nervous as I was it was like it was like pushing my voice out of out of like a thin read like there was just not space you know it was like that out-of-body experience where you're like you're like huh this isn't going well (laughs) but you have to keep doing it and so I just remember after after I finished the song you know I'm just like standing in a cold sweat like knowing knowing it was bad and Katy Perry was like huh well, well, you know, there's not as much control as we had hoped for. And I'm like, oh, my God, like, Katy Perry, that's so terrible. <laughs> Katy Perry, they, this is not me. Were they really yeah. aware of the fact that you were super nervous? You know. Or do they just think, like, this is what Larissa can do? I think, <laughs> I really think it was probably, I'm really good at, at a, I'm really good at, like, keeping a handle uh-huh. on it like on any kind of like anxiety attack or I like I think I don't think they could tell how nervous I was but it was I was just like 
Oh, like, great. Um, but they were, honestly, they were really nice. Like, Lionel Richie was so nice, and so was Luke Bryan. Katy Perry was, like, over it a little bit. But, um, oh. <laughs> but you know, they were, they were they were just like, you know, a lot of people told us no at, at you know, the stages in our career. And we're telling you no now, but there's always an opportunity to, to, you know, to prove us wrong. And I was a little heartbroken about the whole experience at first, you know, just just because I in my head I had failed myself. You know, I had I'd had this thing that I couldn't control. You know, just just my my nervous system freaked out, and it, it's like it's like the ultimate betrayal when your body does oh, that. Yeah. You know, wow. in, a, in a situation where so, you're like, yeah. damn it, it's so true. Yeah, I wanted you to play something. Oh, um, I have a couple of original. Can I cuss? Yes. Okay. Amazing. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's okay. do it. All right. And you can tell us anything you want about yeah. the songs. So, so uh, I really like writing honestly and openly um, about the things that I go through. One of those things, it seems to be like a recurring theme, is just dating dating guys who are just not, not great. You know, they're just like not great. And um, I had a really bad breakup a couple years ago, and it took me a year to kind of get... Back into dating and this guy that I was seeing recently, I think I was trying to be so casual about it at first that it it just, it was too casual. And like eight months later, he's still calling me dude. And uh, I'm just like, God damn it. Um, so this song is about that. When we get to the chorus, you'll, you'll know what it's called. I've been with you every night, been sleeping by your side. You still won't put up a fight for me Bring you breakfast on a plate Like mama did when you were eight You still expect it all for free You say you need more time You're pushing 35 Boy, you know we don't live forever, no Oh, you act like you don't care Starting to lose your hair you tell your friends we're not together Grow the fuck up Grow the fuck up Grow the fuck up Yeah, yeah, yeah Grow the fuck up When we out or with your friends You treat me like I'm one of them Or hold my hand and kiss me on the mouth But every time we get home You won't leave my ass alone But you won't say you love me out loud You say you need more time You're pushing 35 Boy, you know we don't live forever, no Oh, you act like you don't care Starting to lose your hair You tell your friends we're not together Grow the fuck up Grow the fuck up Hey, yeah Grow the fuck up ah, Baby, grow the fuck up Why can't you see what this could be? 
Don't you know we could have everything, oh But you're just too scared to open your eyes Don't you think it's time to grow the fuck up? I don't think we have to guess what the time is. You're turning 35. It's a great song. Yeah. I really love you. Could you please possibly become more accustomed to adulthood? Yeah. No. I love that, Larissa. Um, Thank you. I I also really like the post that you just said, look, I am done with men who don't understand. I like, I'm a really amazing person. And I just wish that um, message could get to more young women about Mm. like, how incredible they are, how super confident they could be if they were with someone who actually saw them with their crown on, like you suggest. It was really yeah. wonderful post. Mm. Thanks for doing it. Yeah. I mean, I, and I, I love, I love, I feel like it's a recent push within, you know, I don't know, like the last, at least in popular culture, like within the last decade to, to be like, yeah, I'm single and yeah, I'm not like the prototype of, of the body that you think I should have. And I'm not as young as you think I should be. And I'm still amazing. And if you have a problem with that, like you can literally just go fuck yourself. (laughs) And I I think that's so nice. I think, you know, I, I I really, I got into Lizzo a couple years ago and I like, I needed to hear her (laughs) at that time. I really did. And (laughs) I I love that she's blown up in the way that she um, has, because I think she has such an important message. And, And I really think like the most revolutionary thing you can do as a woman is to love yourself. Right. I know. God, your struggle to get there is so um, common, so, so incredibly um, representative of the struggle that a lot of young women have. I want you to kind of take us through body dysmorphia, um, eating disorder, and then you ended up having a substance abuse problem to kind of cope with all of it, right? Yeah, a hundred (laughs) percent. So how, how early did all that stuff begin? You know, I think I was a really anxious kid. Yeah. In a lot of ways. I found I found an old journal like a year ago and it was I must have been like nine. And it was like, you know, chemical warfare is imminent and Y2K is happening and like, why did we do this? Why are we getting and I'm like, You are nine years old. It's like, oh my god, no. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I think that has a lot to do with how I was raised. My dad is, um, my dad is 80, so he was an older, he was an older father. And um, he was also uh, like a philosophy, English, uh, English literature and history professor. So he, (laughs) he, we became his students, you know. So I think very early on, I, I was kind of faced with this like philosophical quandary where I was like, you know, what is the point of life? Uh-huh. Oh, existential yeah. angst. Yeah. Like <laughs> it was just like put into me from, you know, like most kids were just like, yeah, you know, it's like the sun's shining outside. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, you had a conversation <laughs> with your dad and I went for a bike ride. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, what is the point of all of this? And why do we get up out of bed every day? I'm like, you know, it was, it was too much as a kid, but, um, <laughs> You know, I think I was a really anxious kid and, and a deep thinker. And when I was 13, I drank for the first time and I got high for the first time. And it was like a revelation. It was like, oh, my God, like, 
it was, you know, it's just like a blanket. You, you, oh, yeah. you don't care. And I think, and I, I read this memoir um, by this woman. I think her name is Sarah Heppola, and it was Blackout. Um, and it's her, it's her memoir of being, a, you know, a woman and an alcoholic and, and working as a journalist within the music industry. And she put it really in a, in a way that I understood so well. Like, you're, as a person who, like, needs to control everything in her life, alcohol represented this, like, wonderful escape for not you know, even for not having any accountability and like finally being able to like relinquish some of that control. And the irony is, you know, you wake up, you wake up, you sober up and then everything else, it's just, it's such a cycle where everything is spun out so gloriously and you have to keep drinking in order to just, you know, just deal with the ways in which you're, you're just messing up everything. You know, um, I, Brian and, and Dr. Izmiri and I really want you to comment on this because what I'm struck by is... An eating disorder, typically, the way it's described is it's a way to control, to be able to take care of external forces. And so you begin restricting or, or, you know, the opposite. But then the drinking is so interesting because it is for so many people, the one time they just go, fuck it, I'm just going to have this drink because it is the one time I forget about controlling. So mm -hmm. it's interesting that those polar opposite things are at play. Hmm. I think at least with the eating piece in particular, it usually at least what I hear is everything else is so out of control in my life and this is the one area that I can control. Yeah. yeah. And then with drinking, it's usually, it's my way of letting go. Yeah. It's my way of just getting or letting go of the control that I have in my life. Yeah. But well, I think a lot of times, at least with substances, it's usually things are so overwhelming mm. in my life and it's yeah. the only way to numb myself out of it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I tend to think of it as similarly that that su substances, I mean, maybe for every one person that drinks to make a good time better, yeah. there's 20 people who are drinking to make a bad time less bad. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a great quote. You know, and, <laughs> and so in a sense, it may not be control like, uh, you know, my, my uh, words are not controlled, my gait is not controlled. I'm kind of a hot mess drunk, mm -hmm. but I am controlling my emotional experience to some degree. And, and I tend to sort of operate from a place where I start to think that the behaviors that show up in a person's life as quote unquote dysfunctional or problematic as they might be, people aren't crazy. And I air quotes heavily. We do things because they work. Yeah. Right. Yeah. right. And yeah. we end up talking to somebody about them or we decide to maybe stop doing that because they don't. And both things are true. Yeah. And so yeah. it's kind of an emotion regulation behavior gone bad in a way. Yes. Yeah. And I was, you know, I was having this conversation actually last night. Um, I went out with a guy who had struggled, who has struggled with addiction too. And so we just had a really honest and open and really like lovely conversation about it. And I think when you first go into any kind of addiction, you just don't know. You just don't, you have no experience with where it ends up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So within, with my eating disorder, it was, you know, it just provided this safety, this set of rules when everything else was like chaotic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's really nice to have a set of rules when everything else is just going. Yeah. It's the thing poorly. that keeps you sane. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, that's what's, that's what's so hard about it is if you could develop a set of rules that actually nourish your body and made you feel calmer and did all the things that these other outside experiences, but yeah. we're not trained to do that when we're little girls. No, you know? no. Nobody and, gives and us those skills. No, it's something that you, you end up, I mean, I have, and I've ended up finding later, like, you know, things that I've picked up in, in treatment or counseling or things that I have, I've become aware of through the avenues of healing that I, that I found. So like meditation Mm -hmm. is something that I don't think a lot of people, well, I think, I think it's becoming trendier, which is, thank God it is. I think it's such a good, um, I think it's such a good thing, like meditation, getting enough exercise, getting sleep, um, you know, talking to someone, getting outside, even if it's 10 minutes, just like (laughs) forcing yourself into that. Um, these are just things that I found work for me, but it's not, you know, it's not something that I was told when I was younger, like, hey, these are the coping mechanisms that you need <laughs> exactly. to, to invest in. Yeah. And and the worst thing, especially for young girls, is that they get encouragement the first time that they've lost five pounds. Everybody's like, yeah. wow, you look amazing. Yeah. And they get this reinforcement for the behavior that's so devastating because it can really like, oh, my coping mechanism also mm-hmm. gets, gets me ample attention in a society that's really effed up about women's bodies. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's exactly. problematic. But you decided within the last year to quit drinking entirely, right? Yeah. What, what prompted that decision? I think when I, so, I mean, I think my primary addiction was definitely my eating disorder. It was anorexia and and bulimia. Um, And when I got a handle on that, you know, it's just kind of like, like, like whack-a-mole kind of (laughs) like you get, you get one down and then like something else pops up and you got to go deal with that. And then it's just like, you know, I I think really mindfulness with, with these kind of things, like recovery is not this destination that you get to and you're like, oh. Yeah, check I'm that here. box. It's yeah. amazing, and then you know everything else is erased, and if it, yeah. it's not, it's not like the Hollywood like version of of success that you want to think that it is. It's like it's constant Ugh. vigilance. It's mindfulness. It's like recognizing what's okay, what's going on with me. What am I feeling that's making me want to do these things? Uh-huh. Yeah. And um, so alcohol was a secondary addiction for me for sure, but it was a very powerful one, and it's one that is so normalized, especially, you know, in your early 20s, oh. in your teens, your early 20s, like, you just get drunk. Like, you get drunk, you go party with your friends, like, and I just realized around, I'd had, you know, I'd had a feeling. I was like, nah, the way that I drink is not the way that other yeah. people drink. Like, I'm getting blacked out. I'm passing out in bushes. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> um, so when I turned 25, I was kind of like, this is different. This is, this, and it's not, it's not, it's not serving me in the way that I, I you know, I want it to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I have been since 25 in like a constant process of getting sober and then feeling really good about, you know, the three months that I've taken off of drinking. And I'm like, well, if I'm so good at not drinking, like I definitely deserve a drink, drink you know, yeah. <laughs> like I'm so good at, I'm so good at cutting this out. Like why not? And, uh, you know, every time I would dip back into it, you know, I, I would just, it's not like I would fall so deep into some shit. It was just, you know, I, it, it was like little things kind of like I'd wake up and I just feel terrible. And it, that feeling would last for like three days and, and, you know, it would affect what I was doing, like my productivity. I would be super upset at myself. And, um, it just got to a point the, the day that I decided to quit drinking, it was just, 
I woke up. I couldn't find my keys. There was it was the snowstorm. Um, so, you know, I had to walk a couple miles to the grocery store to uh, to get groceries on my way back. The bottom of my bag fell out. I'm in the street with my groceries like oh. all over the snow. And I just had this moment of like, I am like too tired for this shit. I don't have time yeah. to do this anymore. So it wasn't like this giant thing. It wasn't like, you know, I got a DUI. It wasn't it wasn't I'd ruined anything necessarily. It was just I was like, I'm I'm too tired. So fascinating <laughs> because we've talked to so many people that have said it isn't rock bottom. It was just I got too tired to deal with my addiction. I got too tired of waking up that way and just yeah. I didn't have the energy anymore to yeah. serve my addiction. I, I'm like, oh, my God, we need to get the new bumper sticker. It's not about hitting bottom, bottom at all. It's about recognizing when you're actually physically depleted from your thing yeah. and you don't have it anymore. It, you seems, know? it seems to me, I mean, I think it is true that sometimes people do hit rock bottom or they'll have a really, really bad outcome like a DUI or a, or a car accident or something yeah. like that. Yeah. But the distress that you experience when that happens can't last forever. Yeah. Yeah. And and so you go a handful of months and you're like, hey, I'm doing pretty good. Maybe uh, maybe I deserve a drink. Right. Um, and your experience is more of that, like, I, I have a sense of how I want to be moving around in the world. And alcohol yeah. has broken some promises. It said it was my friend. Mm. Yeah. And mm. we've been spending months <laughs> together and it still calls me dude. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. I need to break up with this thing. <laughs> right, exactly. That's a, no, that's a great way to put it. Yeah, it's it's just um you know, I realized that it was an issue because <laughs> you know, I realized all of my stories were okay, I was so I was really drunk and yeah. And then I was like, fuck, I'm always drunk. Like <laughs> everything that happens to me occurs when I'm wasted and like any weird story or any like stressful thing, it just you know, sometimes it was fun. I have a lot of, I have a lot of really fond memories. I had a great time. I was out of my, like, I was so out of control. I was like the life of the party. Um, and there's, you know, like I, there's almost a nostalgia to it, but it's like a lie. You know, it's mm -hmm. like this, mm -hmm. whatever that was, whoever that personality is, she's still in me, but she, like, if she rules my life, there is, there's not a life that's, that's great, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, mm -hmm. Um, Angela, you and I were talking uh, earlier about how reluctant people are to come to therapy. I think it's really, really hard to get someone who's actually got a couple of disorders going on to come in and say, I need to untangle this, right? Yeah. Because definitely. the guilt that you end up feeling, like, what day do you do it? Do you do it the day after the hangover? No, I'm feeling pretty good. I haven't had a drink in three months. I don't need it. It's sort of like a a ball toss as to when you actually get somebody to face it. So if someone's listening and they're like, God, this woman sounds like me, <laughs> what should they be thinking about? Am I living the kind of life that I want to live? Mm. And mm -hmm. are the behaviors that I'm taking getting in the way of that? I think if the answer is yes, it's time to reevaluate something. Whether you do that with a therapist, a friend, a pastor, a family member, it, it's really just Am I doing, am I living the kind of life I want to live? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Sort of gets back to that whole values thing. Like, what do you really value? Do you value the story you get to tell when you're blotto drunk? Or do you value who you are as a friend and yeah. a daughter and a human being? Right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's, yeah. That's the thing is, 
in, integrity is so important to yeah. me. Mm-hmm. And being having been sober for a year, um, I feel like every decision I've made has been my own. And if I mm-hmm. if I fuck up, yeah, thank you. Yeah, if that I, really really resonated with yeah, me. That's beautiful. You yeah. know, I still I still I have times when I'm really angry, and I'll say things out of anger that. You know, it takes me a little bit of time to come back to, and I, I, but I then I have ownership over it. It's not like I burn everything down. I just like, it's just, it's made, it's given me the pause that I've needed to act in a way and and live in a way that I'm really, I'm really proud of. And it's, it's just the thing is when you take away the addictions that have been taking care of some of your emotional regulation mm-hmm. issues, yeah. when you address that and you remove it, I think the the first reaction that you want to have is like. I'm healed. I'm better. Like <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. This is yeah. it. This is all I needed to do. But it takes some time to to realize like there are things that are coming up that you don't have your old coping mechanisms. That's right. Yeah. And it's how you deal with those sober without mm-hmm. any of those things that like actually I think I was getting stuck in the same pattern where I was like avoiding things. And now I'm in a place where I have to deal with them and I feel like I'm leveling up. Like, I feel like Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just, for the first time I'm like, oh, like this is, this is it. This is what it means to like grow as a person. Have you written a song to yourself about this process that you've gone through? I haven't yet. I think, you know, I just, I just got, I bought a keyboard yesterday. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Cause I realized a lot of the songs that I've been writing lately have been kind of born out of anger or frustration and uh, I just had something and like not a not a relationship, but like a something, just something. And typically like my old impulse was just like write a bunch of breakup songs and get super mad. But this time is a little different. I just I want to like focus on healing and and finally write, you know, I, I think write those songs that are harder to write. It's yeah. really easy to like blast an accent oh, song. Yeah. It's super fun. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> <if> you, <laughs> and you are particularly good at it. Let's just say. Yeah. yeah. Also just a new instrument might um, evoke a new emotional response. Oh yeah. You know? I'm really excited. Yeah. I'm pretty garbage at it right now. Yeah. But. <laughs> Brian, you were going to say something. Oh, I just, when it, the, the question about do I need to go to therapy or would it be helpful to go to therapy? I think maybe, maybe more than other kinds of struggles that people have, struggles with substances put people in a position of having to sort of like ask this question, okay, do I technically have a problem? Am I an alcoholic? Am I a whatever? And I don't think that that's a really particularly helpful question. I think what's a a lot more useful is to say, could I be doing this better? Like the way, Larissa, the way that you're framing this is I want to be living my life in a certain way. I want to be like owning my own decisions and having a relationship with the full spectrum of my emotional world. Yeah. That's more of a move towards some stuff than it is away from alcohol. And alcohol just ends up, there just ends up not being as much space for it. As opposed to the question of, okay, does this really reach the threshold of a problem? Whenever I get blood work done and they say, <laughs> oh, you're within normal range. And I look at the normal range and the normal range is like 0.5 to 70 and it's like, God, you have to be really, really extreme to get outside of this huge normal range. Yeah. And and I think people trick themselves into saying, well, it's not bad enough that I need to like go talk to somebody about yeah. it. Yeah. It's not so much is it bad enough, but would it potentially be helpful? Yeah. I think if you're asking yourself a question, like, do I need to see a therapist? I, it's just see a therapist. <laughs> yeah. You know, like it's yeah. it's. 
It can't hurt. Yeah, it can't hurt. It's not this big thing. And I think we still have a lot of shame um, and there's a lot of stigma in having any kind of disorder or being neuro, you know, like, I don't know, atypical. Um, it doesn't, it's just not ever going to help you. Like it would, it would be so great. Like, you know, it's, it's arguing with reality. And I think a lot of unhappiness, a lot of misery comes from arguing with the reality in which you are in and just, and you know, the argument is it shouldn't be this way. You know, I should be, I shouldn't have this. I shouldn't be dealing with this. This is the way that it needs to be. But when you're doing that, you're, you're just not accepting yourself where you are. And I think, and that's why I'm so, that's why I am so open about what I go through because for so many years I was locked in, you know, the shame of being an addict, the secrecy, you know, all of the lies that go along with that and pretending to be something that I just, I wasn't. And it, it fucked with me. It fucked with me for years. And I think when I started to talk about what I had gone through and what I had been experiencing, you know, people started saying, I've also gone through that. Yeah. That's something that I went through. And it was like, it almost, it's this domino effect where once you start talking about things, people people start opening up also. Yeah. Um. So this this idea of, you know, I, I don't need to see a therapist. It's not a bad thing to see a therapist. It's a really good thing to talk about the things that have hurt you and the ways in which you are in pain. And it's okay to have, you know, it's okay to be in pain and acknowledging it, you know, is the first step in, in healing. It's like we, we pour all of these things into ourselves to fill this hole. But the work is we have to get inside of the hole and figure out what's going on at the bottom of it and well, fill that- it up from the bottom. That is the most beautiful place to end. And if you don't mind, can I put in the cover of Lake Street Drive? Would that be all right? I would love to do that because we're going to go out with that cover. I think it's one of the most beautiful songs. And I know this band and I know they would love to have (laughs) it covered by you because you do such a phenomenal job. Thank you you so much, Larissa, for spending some time with you. I can't wait to follow your career. I just have such amazingly high hopes for you. Thank you so much, Sheila. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure speaking with all of you. Our pleasure. Beyond Well is brought to us by the Foundation for Excellence in Mental Health Care, Cedar Hills Hospital, and Hubble Communications. We really appreciate a thumbs up on one of the places where you listen to podcasts. Make it a great day. Hate casts a long shadow. I know that I lie in it and let it rule my mind from time to time. Escape in an old battle that clings on like a vine to me, whispers dirty lies in my ear. didn't start this way But I won't let it pull my heart tonight I can change, I can change I can still change I can still change Tracing an old